Charles, thank you for being here. I really appreciate oh, you coming pleasure. You know, like I said, I, I thought, oh, I wonder if you'll be able to ask me before I have to, you know, move on stuff. And I'm like, and you did. <laughs> like, really, how did that happen? Is that really real? That is really but real. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you on camera. I've already told you on camera. You taught my son. I did. He went to, he went to Sophia. He was, a, he was on the new campus. It's not yep. it was the main campus, really. Right, right, But right. they had the international section. And out of all the classes, he truly told me, he said he enjoyed yours the most. And I said, why? You know, I want to hear mm -hmm. what it is. He said, Dad, he not only teaches, but he walks his talk. He's doing his doing. And right after that, we gave you an award for all the contributions you've oh, given. Right. I was president of the American Club. And I'm going, he's no joke. He's telling the truth. Right? <laughs> because I've always been proactive with who teaches my kids. Yeah. We're paying a lot of money. Starting from elementary, you're paying a college tuition if you're an expat and you have them in international schools. Right. So I would always make sure of the teachers that were working with my kids. If I didn't like it, I'd even take them out to school. Mm. Because that's a lot to be contributing to someone that doesn't understand every child is a little different. Right. Or a person who's teaching but doesn't like themselves. Right. So I would look for that. So in the parent-teacher conferences, when the parents would, the teachers would usually say this, tell me about your child. I'd say, before I do that, would you please tell me what he's like in the classroom? Yeah. I want to know how well you know my child. I know my kid, <laughs> but do you? I'm not going to tell you something so you can regurgitate it back to me. <laughs> so, exactly. And I tell my wife, don't say a word. Let's hear what she has or he has to say. Right, right. But my son was truly I appreciate you impressed saying with that. the way that you taught and... Um, he doesn't know that you're doing this, and this is going to be a real treat. Oh, really? He watches my podcast, and when oh, he does sees he? you on, he's going to. Be like, <laughs> he says that guy's still he around. Say, what? He's <laughs> my goodness. So let's start, Charles, with where you were born. So I was born in Missoula, Montana, and uh, my parents were originally from the Twin Cities, St. Paul, Minneapolis, and born there. And then within a year, we had moved to Idaho, and eventually out to Washington State, where uh, we stayed there for. Well, I went to elementary school in Bellevue, just a suburb of Seattle, and in Olympia, the capital of Washington State, and then we moved back to Twin Cities for high school. Uh, you went to the West Coast and back to the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Wait, you, are, you the only, are you the only child? No. No, good God, no. We, there's uh, seven of us. So I have right? two older sisters, two okay. younger sisters, and two younger brothers. Right, so you're the third. I'm the third. Okay. And we have my youngest brother and my youngest sister adopted, and then growing up, we had foster kids living with us. How many years okay. difference between you and the oldest? Two Start years. Again. Between you and the oldest? Yep, two years. So it went, then, <laughs> went boom, 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 take a rest, boom. And then, oh, let's go pick up a, an adopted one. Oh, the house is not full, let's make one. Oh, let's pick up another one. Oh, by the way, there, 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 there's uh, kids coming over from uh, Vietnam, 1975. So let's go to SeaTac Airport and pick up a kid. Wait, wait, how old are your parents now? Are uh, my dad died in 2015. Uh, okay. It's okay. He, he was born in 1930 and my mom was born in 1938. He's eight years older than your mom. He's eight years older. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so how's your mom doing? She's good. She's good. She's healthy. So she's in her... Still works. She's, she's uh, well, I guess... 80s? Almost like 80s. 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 Still works. Still works. Is she in Montana? She's still there? Uh, well, it was in Minnesota. Oh. So Montana Minnesota. was just kind of a... My grandparents uh, had moved to Montana after the war. On whose side of the family? On uh, my dad's side. Your dad's side, okay. Had moved to, the, to Montana after the war. Uh, he was a doctor, and then other relatives stayed there. So I think you know my parents moved out to Montana um, 
you know, for work, my dad's work and stuff. What'd your father do? <laughs> I only laugh because I've been recently asking my mom, you know, interview questions like this. It's like, really? you married a really, really sketchy guy here. <laughs> in the sense of this, because okay, okay. my dad, we find out later in my life that my dad was a Trappist monk for five years. Wait, before he married? Before he married my mom, mother? he was a Trappist monk for five years. Now explain a Trappist monk. Okay, so... Within the Catholic faith, there are different monks and different orders and religions. He's a Catholic. He's got, well, I was, we were all born okay. Catholic and raised okay. Catholic. Um, and so within that, he was a, monk, a Trappist monk. And he, you could probably see the guys wear the black front altar part and the white robe, get up at three o'clock in the morning and pray. I mean, for five years. As I would tell people, it's not like selling fuller brush but items he, over the but summer. He, but he was responsible years. for something else. No, no, he, was, he lived in a monastery. Okay. So he lived in a monastery, uh, and then he in the states. Oh yeah, Utah. There's 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 a lot of monasteries in the United States. Okay. Yeah. So he lived in Utah, uh, but you know I only found out later in life. It's kind of like, but that's my dad because he's like he's the kind of guy that's like it's a different story. We're at the, the Minnesota State Fair. We go by the the Boy Scout, you know, table. He's talked to my dad's kind of a, he likes to just. Talk with people, not really outgoing, but he's good talking to people. He goes, Oh, yeah, 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 that's cool, man. I go, Oh, yeah, I got my Eagle Scout. What? I said, What? He goes, You didn't know? Yeah, I got my Eagle Scout. You know, I'm like, What? Wait, hang on a second. <laughs> they don't hand those things out to everybody. And this, that's my dad. You know, he. Did he come from a big family himself? He, uh, he had uh, four brothers and sisters. So he had two, he was also a third. He had two older brothers and two younger sisters. He was a family of five then. He was a family of five. Maybe yeah. I got the order wrong there. But yeah. yeah, he's a family he of five. He was in the middle of them. Okay. He was in the middle of them. So, you know, so so my mom, my mom was an only child. My dad came a big child. So we have this thing in our house that my mom wanted to have kids, but didn't know how to take care of them. My dad knew what it was like to have a big family okay. and stuff. So it was a lot of a social dysfunction growing up. I, we're all happy together now. We love each other now. But it was a bit of law of the jungle kind of growing up. So what did he stuff. do? Okay, so he was... So he, what he did, he, kind of he eventually became um, a uh, environmental um, uh, was scientist or environmentalist uh, and worked on the environment. Um, he also taught at the University of Minnesota. So my dad's specialty was asbestos. So we could say he could come into a room and knows if it sucks or blows because he'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. Now, sucks and blows in what way? Cause, the the movement of the air, is there asbestos in here? Is the no. asbestos going to come and, you know, come into your lungs and right. things like oh, this? So that he was, was aware his, of that. Oh, yeah, he, he's, that's what's his specialty, you know. So he tell you, okay, you've got to get rid of all this. Ah, uh, my things dad was, was never a guy. I mean, he would say there's dangers if the people asked him about it. But if they didn't? Well, of course they didn't. You know, okay. They wouldn't. But I mean, he, he wasn't out there, you know, okay. get rid of without business. Okay. He didn't have a campaign. No, my dad was a very, very quiet, humble person. Stuff. Here's a different story. So I'm I'm going down downstairs in his house, uh, you know, and I see this plaque on the wall, and it says two thirty, and I go, When did you run a two hour and thirty minute marathon? How old were you when this happened? I was like in my twenties. Okay. And he goes. Oh, that was that time in Vancouver. I remember back to that time that my my younger, my older sister and I went up there and haphazardly photographed him on this race. And he goes, oh, yeah, that was a good day. A good day. You were in your 40s, had stopped smoking in your 30s, and you were in a 2.30 marathon. And you say, it was, it was, it was a good day. 
And there's no, no kind of this false humility. It was just my dad, you know, it was just like... Charles, it sounds like what I was saying to you just before I came in here. People either focus on the length of their life or the width of it. Your father was busy dealing with the width of it. He made story after story after story. He was in the moment. Yeah, you know, my dad was... One of the gifts that my dad gave to me that, you know... My dad, if you look at pictures of our family, as the kids add, my dad gets unhappier, unhappier, unhappier. It's just his face. You're just looking like, this is a man who's made some wrong life choices. <laughs> you know? And, 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 you know, and so... Um, and so it was really a troubling relationship growing up, you know, mm -hmm. I'll talk about it a little bit in a minute or so, but, um, and, but as he got older, and I, I saw him come to Japan sometimes, he became more flexible, more curious, more open, more childlike about learning things. And that is a deep gift that I, I, I just embrace in myself that it's like, I want to, as I get older, to be more curious about life, more, oh, that's cool, wow, because that was my dad, you know, to a T and stuff. But, but you, but of course, when he was, it was the pressures of dealing with other human beings that you're responsible for biologically. You know what I mean? So that, and then some that you're not biologically responsible my for. My parents made some sketchy, <laughs> sketchy decisions in their life that we're all questioning now. We're glad that they stayed married, but on their 50th anniversary, right, they weren't fighting. But there was no celebration. It was like, <laughs> we made it to the line here, you know? I, that's about, let's about not, you know. Let's not overdo it. Let's... But, you know, my parents. That's interesting. So my parents were also people that, if I told my dad, hey, dad, I killed someone and stuff like that, he'd go, you know, son, Charlie, you know, I understand. I understand. The man had the capacity to forgive and move wait, on. Wait, no, wait. Like, there was no like, discipline in the family. Wait, come on. I mean, they had no, it was law of the jungle. It was law of the jungle, practically there. Um, That's how you remember growing up. When I was in the sixth grade, okay. I says, Dad, what time is you going to go? It's 10 o'clock. This is middle school. I said, next time I says, what time is you going to go? No, I don't know. You, you set the time. My parents read these books on pet parent effectiveness training or something like let your child decide their life and stuff. So you were never disciplined in the traditional way. When I was in high school, when I was in high school before I got sober, I wouldn't come home for before, a couple Wait, of... before you got sober? Yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> no, wait just a minute, Charles. Wait, wait, okay, wait. Let's talk like this. This is... Wait, your parents weren't hippies because that sounds like hippies. No, nah, they weren't but they hippies. Up, but they went to the West Coast that's they the weren't hippies. They weren't hippies, but they were very very loose and just very loose. Well, yeah, but we went to church. We went to church every 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 week. Um, you know, we went to yeah, we went to church every week. I was an altar boy. I went to help the services in the morning several times. You know, on a you know six o'clock mass or six thirty mass and stuff. So your community was it big, small? The in in. In Bellevue, yeah, there was a community of people there. It was in, it was in the late 60s, early 70s. There was, you know, community of people there. And Olympia, I, I had my, my people I, I hung out with. But, no, it was, you know, I would, it, I would not characterize my growing up as feeling loved or cared for. I mean, you know, growing up. You didn't feel that? You know, our family is, you know, really enjoys being with each other right now. We so you came together? Like, we did, we did. We did come but together. But it took what? What did it take for that to happen? I just, I, you know, I, a Everybody lot of my things in my life I write off as luck, okay. being blessed, being just, you know, that was really lucky that that happened. 
You know, um, I think one of the pivotal points was when my younger brother got married in Seattle, yeah, 20 years ago. No, 25 years ago. Anyways, he got married and we all got together and realized, oh, we do like to hang out with each other. And so we made a commitment to, after that, you know, once a year get together, you know, because I'd be here in Japan, you know, to get together. And so we would do that. And we just, you know, over time, you know, really realized that we, um, they really, really do like each other and stuff. And so, that is yeah, that is good. It is good. You know, and I think, too, there's an element that because my parents, um, both of them, not just my dad more than my mom, but both of them, have an inability to hold a grudge. So tell me, what kind of child were you when you were growing up? Were you more academic or were you more physical? I'm talking about elementary. Oh, I thought I, was, I thought I was like, I couldn't do anything. Oh, in junior high? No, I, I, I uh, conned my way through up through the sixth, seventh grade, and then uh, Mr. Houston, this British guy uh, who probably went to the United States, lived there, uh, caught up with me and said, uh, I don't know how you got this far, but you don't know anything. And he wasn't, he wasn't talking down to me, he was just basically like calling my con, because I was really good at conning people. To get two grades that passed in the Oh, yeah, 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 you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like amazing that I, you know, What's a verb? I have no idea what a verb is. What, 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 what are these things here you call it? Has feathers, it has and he, he's the one. He's like, he sat in my room and goes, I don't know how your son got this far. <laughs> this is junior high. This is junior high. Okay. But he does not know right. the basics. So how, did, know. so how did that affect you when you went on high school? So, as I said, I, I got sober when I was 16. So I started when using you, drugs. When did you start, start drinking? Using, you said using drugs or just drugs? Drinking? Yeah, drugs okay. and alcohol. Well, now was this in the Midwest or are you on the West Coast now? We well, so when did it start? I started well probably when I was really really young, probably uh, probably first or second grade, even be probably before then started drinking, and then that was be Bellevue, and then went with on with your family, with the family, or what? no, my family didn't know I was drinking. <laughs> no, but it could have been one of your sisters or brothers. It could have been one of your sisters or brothers. Ah, uh, no, no. Oh, it wasn't like that, it was your friends. No, I don't think my sisters knew that I okay. was, no, they might have, they, who knows, we're right. in a lot of the jungle, they don't they each went to a zone and stuff, you right. know. Yeah. Um, but you said first, second grade, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, so I started drinking and then started using drugs and I went down to, I was, I'm probably still elementary, so I started using drugs and then, and then went down to Olympia and then hung out with some pretty. Now, what kind of drugs are you talking about? Just out of curiosity. Ah, uh, don't worry about getting. Okay, you want to get into that. That's okay. But yeah. just using drugs, and then finally got really serious when I went. We went out to went out to uh, to St. Paul, Minneapolis, and lived there. And I got into a gang and using drugs. And so, um, yeah. So I was sixteen when I went through drug and alcohol treatment. Sixteen. Yeah. New parents. They knew that. So, they were like, okay. Well, that does explain a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But you know, I think on their side too, and I know my dad said this to me that you appreciate as a parent, I feel I feel bad that this happened to you, that I wasn't there for you. Did yeah. it went past him and it passed his radar completely? He's got so much on his plate, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, there was so much going on, but it's also, you know, part that, just kind of a dysfunctional marriage in some ways, you know, um, and you know, so many kids in the house and so many things, I mean, I would kind of not come home for a couple of days and my mom wouldn't say anything. I come home, she goes, oh, I haven't seen you in a couple of days. Like, yeah. She would say she hadn't seen you in a couple of days. Yeah. It would be like, you didn't come home. And she's like, oh, I haven't seen you in a couple of days. I think, okay. I don't know if she'd ask her to think, okay. Just, I hadn't seen you in a couple of days. Yeah. Wow. 
Okay, so, 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 so I, when did you start to get together? Did you, did you, by any chance, did you graduate from high school? I did. I did. So I, um, this is how far out of touch I was. So I, I got sober in high school, um, which is really unusual to be 16, getting sober, going to AA meetings with people that are twice or three times your age. You did no sports or anything like that? You I played soccer. When, in high school? Yeah, played soccer in high school. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. But I was also working. So the other odd thing, so I went to, a, a in high school, a Catholic military high school, which is like... Oh, like a Catholic... Learn how to pray for him in the morning and kill him in the afternoon. Right. I shouldn't say that, but I shouldn't say it. That's probably... Anyways, um, and I never once got promoted there. I was at the lowest rank the whole time. How, many, how long was that? Four years. Four years. Four years. So I got sober halfway through. Um, that was my sophomore year and then junior and senior still sober went to you know and had a really influential counselor there named Bob Colby who just totally offbeat type of gentleman that shouldn't even belong in that school in the sense that it's like the school is all about this conservative but he was there uh, partly because he used to be a, 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 a brother a Christian brother and then he left the order and got married but he came back to his counselor but he was influential in so many ways that he wasn't your typical rah 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 counselor he was a how are you feeling he had the ability to sit down and go and within a couple minutes just know how you're feeling and then describe you like you know and you could tell bob like my dad you know later in my life that anything of bob would be like and bob was like i think i had one drink once and i didn't like it right he was like Mr. Straight Lace, Mr. Nerdy, Mr. But he... He didn't judge Oh, God, no. Good God, no. Good God, no. And he was good. So he was very influential in, um, you know, because we had weekly meetings um, among the few of us that were getting sober at that time. And so at school, I was just F up. You know, I was just, you know, I, I was like, you know, I've gotten sober, but I had no rank, not, you know, didn't do well in academic. But outside of school, I started working at a restaurant um, at 14. And by the time, just before I got sober, I became this night supervisor. So I was supervising people twice my age. So this guy's weird thing is like, here outside my life, I'm doing some crazy things. I'm interacting with adults, I'm going to AA meetings, um, I'm, I'm dealing with an adult disease. I'm managing people that are older than me, my age. I'm responsible for a store at night. But here, it looks like you're a total, I don't know. Are you okay? It's all <laughs> boys school, of course. It's all boys school. Right. And so, so um, at the end, when they're graduation, because everybody tells you, you got so much potential, you got so much potential. And I didn't understand that potential is untapped energy, okay? So I get my, my, my rank and I go, hey, my look, man, I'm number 106. 106 out of 115, ain't that great? Thinking the higher number's better. She goes, you idiot, that's at the bottom, man. <laughs> I, I barely graduated. I barely graduated <clears throat> from high school. But as typical of my that time, you know, going through, um, you know, our weekly uh, meetings, group meetings, the people getting sober and stuff. Um, and I go, I'm gonna go see the ocean. So what do I do? I go down and see a U.S. Navy recruiter. <laughs> hey, what age? I go in. What age I go in, and you know this is before I graduate. Just remember, graduate. I go in. 
Uh, and uh, I see this guy, big guy, and uh, African-American. And he goes, come on in, sit down, son, have a seat. <laughs> what do you want to do? And I go, I want to see the ocean. <laughs> well, I got a plan for you. Now, this is like, wait a minute. You went to a military high school where you, 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 you did not cut your hair, you painted your shoes, you did not do well, did not conform, and now you want to go into the military? I just want to go see the other people. You know, you can see the ocean other ways. I'm like, yeah, but. And I went, and it, that's what changed my life, you know. In How many years doing you? Uh, four and a half active, and then four and a half, the remaining four and a half inactive. Only listed. Unlisted, yeah, well, geez, I barely graduated from high school, you know. <laughs> you came, you came out in E what? Do you remember? E five. E five. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's in the Air Force. That'd be a staff sergeant. Okay. Four stripes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I came out E five, and so you know, I, when I went in, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I loved the discipline. I loved the structure. I loved the place that I could, I could excel. And I, what I learned, you're in the military. I was in the Air Force. Uh -huh. So what I learned for me early in boot camp was, they don't care what's going on inside here. As long as you're doing out there, that's it. They're not trying to get into your head. Except like, for you, except you must conform. Yeah. That's it. You do that, yeah. you're good. And that's okay. And you give you your time, you, after that, it's your time. But they're not in my head. No, no, no. And when I realized that, I thought, the second thing, first day of boot camp, go to the cafeteria, and I go, and I see the sign that says, eat all you want. I says, you gotta be kidding me. Because I grew up in a household. I understand where you had to get in when you could get it. You get in, yeah. My desk is one foot on the table at all times and stuff. You know? And so this is the law of the jungle. Because you're sitting in the food, you're thinking like, okay, if that person takes more, then I'm not going to get enough. I'm going to be hungry later. But this is not, this is not we're, 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 we're not friends here. Okay? And so I go into a situation now. It's like, that was my best therapy. I could eat as much food as I want. Because, you know, I would go up until almost recently, not recently, a couple of years ago, I go to, a, let's say, a, a dinner with lots of food. And I was thinking, like, is there enough for everybody? I don't want to make sure enough for everybody. And so it certainly influences my work right now as passing out food. But um, that was my first thing. I can eat all this? And they're like, yeah. You, you, oh, man, this is great. I don't have to worry about anything here now. Isn't that interesting? It is. And so I applied for the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh-huh. Imagine that. No, wait, after your six years? No, when I was in. While you were in? Yeah. And? I didn't get in. Okay. I didn't get in because I was, well, I didn't get among many things. So when I, when I, when I was going to get enlisted, they asked if I used drugs. And of course I said yes. And then I, because I'm, I'm on, you know, AA and Narcotics Anonymous is all about honesty, and, which is pertinent. Get it. But I've learned since that there are certain levels of honesty right. that There's are appropriate. Some, some things you probably don't have to but say. But I didn't. Right. Uh, and so, you know, um, that I think was a mark against me. And so I went up for sailors a year on my ship and I won't say it was a shoe in, but I was in the finals and I got the question of, if you saw a guy smoking weed, what would you say, what would you do? And I said, well, I'd probably counsel him and you know, find out and stuff, which is probably the thing you would do, which is not the answer then. Not at that time. It's not the answer they wanted. And I know, I knew there's like, now I know as, as I should say as an adult, right. but it's like, yeah, but as a young person, 18, 19 years old at the time, you know, and so that's got me. And so it, it was a year-long process. I have no regrets of applying. I didn't get in. Um, but what happened in the military that really transformed me is that we had these teachers that came on board, university teachers, and I taught writing classes. And I was on a small ship at that time out of Yokosuka. What kind of ship? A destroyer. 
Oh, okay. I've been on this train. Yep. Hayes Gray and Underway. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah. And he taught a writing course. And I found the beauty of how writing and education can help you reframe and rethink the world. And so when we went down to the Philippines, you know, um, Subic Bay is this wild, just carnival place and stuff. Have you been down there? No, but I know about it. You know about it. Yes. Okay, so let's, we'll leave that. <laughs> <laughs> but but we go back on the ship and the, and the professor would say, so how does it feel that you're 19 years old and you have as much money in your pocket as someone's gonna make in a year? How does it feel that you know that you can change someone else's life by marrying them and bringing them to the States? How does it feel, you know, write about these things. And I'm going like, wow, wow. And that's what made me go, okay, I want to get educated. I want to go to university. You know, Annapolis I did, you know, because I was more of a, I wanted to get off my ship. I was in a ship in South Carolina. There was docked nowhere. And my job was to sail to go places. And I'm docked in this swamp up the river and stuff. How, how long were you there? In South Carolina, yeah. two years. Yeah. Two years too long, huh? I'm from the north, okay? And and as they would say, we do things differently down here. Sure. And I'm like You sure do. Yeah, you do. I mean I yeah, it was it was I don't say I hate it, but I, it was it was it was my job was really to go out to sea. My ship was not going out to sea, but mm. Anyway, so coming back to that, you know, I said, I want to get out and I want to go to university. I'm just really hungry so to learn. You do? So what you do? When I got out, I went to the University of Minnesota. Okay. And then, you said what? Uh, East, uh, well, it had to be International Relations, East Asian Studies. So I applied to go to Sophia University. I got out in 86, applied, got accepted in 87, came here, um, got some part-time jobs. One of them was scrubbing the, the ceiling of a Tokyo station. Well, that time people are still smoking, so the ceiling's that's like right, yellow. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, the Wait, ceiling's what yellow. What year was this? It was 86. 87, 87, 87. Okay. when I got accepted. And my, I fell underneath the GI Bill that was between the Vietnam and Reagan. It was the Carter, which was nothing. Nothing. Give <laughs> you like, oh, you got something? No, I, no, I, I love Carter, you know, God rest his soul, but we didn't get much money. But anyway, so, so that money wasn't going to come through in time, and so I had to make a decision. I came back to the United States uh, embarrassed, ashamed, disappointed, because I felt like, I'm going off to Tokyo to get my job, my degree in Sofia. I'll be back in four years, and within three months, I'm back, because I didn't have enough money to pay for tuition. You know, scrubbing the ceiling at Tokyo Station is not going to make enough money. But that, I learned later, was a blessing in disguise, because... Well, Sophia, as I later went there uh, as an exchange student and also as a graduate student, has name value, right? My education university in Minnesota was so rigorous and so demanding that I was like, wow, I'm so glad. Because, you know, I went back went to the University of Minnesota. I was thought I was going to get into the liberal arts. And they said, um... Yeah, you, your grades are not like liberal arts and stuff. You could start at the community college for two years and then and work your way up if you, if we'll, we'll, you see you get it. So I was like, what? Okay, that's where I got started. That's what we do. And so I worked two years in the community college at uh, University of Minnesota and got bumped up to liberal arts and then eventually came back to Sophia. When I came back as an exchange student in 91, that's when I realized the difference. Because they were so much more rigorous than... Sophia is not about education. What is it about? It's about a four-year respite 
before between the rigors of getting into university and then my business life or you know working in there it's a four-year vacation whereas a time for you to have uh, enjoy uh, meeting new people transferring between a child to an adult um, but it's not about education Wait, so hold on. so you're saying Sophia it had it had name value however it's not about education and I teach there Wow, that's interesting but the name by does make a big difference yeah, I mean, I remember I went in 91 and my, my, my teacher was like, I said, oh, are you going to talk about such and such topic? And he goes, well, why would I talk about that? I'm like, well, only because it's in the news. And he'd get more irritated about people arriving on time or being in class, taking attendance. And I'm like, University of Minnesota, you don't want to come. That's on you, buddy. That's right. I said my first international relations class in University of Minnesota. And I, I, I she started talking and I'm like, if I missed like two or three weeks, because she's talking about things that she assumes we all know. And I'm like, what the heck? She, it's this same same professor, she gave us the, the she's, okay, so for the final, I'm going to give you the four questions, and then I will choose one or two out of that. And I'm like, Jesus, a breeze. I look at the questions like, this is a thesis question. And so, you know, um, and, and, and so I think it was really a hard reality for me to pump up that. We understand that that's, but it took me a while to realize, okay, this is the time, you know, and it, it serves a purpose in Japan. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. You know, University of Minnesota, we would say the gate is very wide to get in, but to graduate, I think at that time, less than 15% graduate within four years. In Japan- It's the opposite. Yeah, as long as you don't <laughs> go down the building, kill somebody or something like that, you're gonna you know, and so that's a hard one for me as a professor, you know, adjunct professor teaching sometimes my students who have, we have different expectations. For me, I feel like I'm giving you my time and I love what I do and I want to give the best I have here. And what they hear it is, your standards are impossible to meet. And I go, well, actually, they're just the standards that, of the university, like how many hours you need to study a week and stuff. Two, I've said I will be here lock and step with you the whole way if you have questions. And three, I want to see you succeed. What do you teach? I teach uh, NGO management. Okay. You know, and so, you know, and I will tell them every time. I says, listen, every single of my course, two or three students will fail and not fail because they, they didn't come to me. They'll fail because they thought they knew the material or they plagiarized or they cheated. And, and everybody I know, they're going like, well, that's not gonna be me. Oh, that's no problem and stuff. And then inevitably, <laughs> we have the situation and stuff. And so, you know, that's, you know, but again, it's, it's, it's different expectations what the purpose of education is here. And, and, and so, you know, I, that's where I, I I, how should I say, I had a pro, I had struggles when I was here as an exchange student for a year, but I go, so luckily that I failed and had to go back to university. Otherwise you would have thought that's the way it is. I got a really solid education in the University of Minnesota. It's not a name brand, but I got a way of thinking about the world, attacking problems, not making assumptions. I remember when my first assignments, I had to read the, the dang article five times. It was so dense and so full of different ideas and concepts in there that I had to read it like, what, 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 what? But getting out of that, pushing myself through that gave me some skills and stuff that, 
you know, uh, I think really helped me. Whereas, you know, I, I did my thesis at University at Sofia. It was about the post-Cold War U.S.-Japanese military relationship. That was my interest. That's what brought me here. Because I wasn't a military here and stuff. And I gave it to my professor and he go, and I knew he hadn't read it. You know that vibe. You know, right, right, he right, just right. kind of glanced right, through right, it. Right. And I'm like, I said, well, I'd like to get this thing published. And he goes, oh, this is just a read and write. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Oh, you just read something and write about it. I'm like, no, I want you to push me. I didn't say to him, but I'm doing my, I want you to push me and go, this doesn't make sense. It's not a good theory. You need to tighten this up here, get some backing there so I can go back and make it publishable. You know, because it was 91. Cold War just ended. How are things going to pan out? We had just left the Philippines in the year before, Mount Pinatobo. So a lot of interesting things happening here. Um, you know, but that's, you know, interesting that that's not the trajectory of my life. I went in a completely different direction when I finally arrived here. So when did you arrive? When did you come back again? So I came back one year for 90, for summer 90 to uh, homestay up in Hokkaido, uh, Japanese, and then came back 91. 91. So I wrote to a Jesuit. With the intention to do what? So I wrote to a Jesuit priest and said, I'm thinking about becoming a Catholic priest. If it's possible, will I study? Can I live in a religious community? So I arrive at Sophia, and I meet, a, I meet a, a, a Jesuit, and he goes, I got a place for you, but there's two conditions, two things you gotta know. I said, first he goes, it's in the slums of Tokyo. And I'm like, Tokyo has slums? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He goes, you'll be living with some brothers from India and the Philippines. I go, you got brothers from India and the Philippines living in the slums of Tokyo? I gotta see this place, man. So he gives me the address, gives me the name of the station, and uh, it's uh, Minami Senju is the name of the station. And Sanya is the area, Sanya um, Yamatani with the kanji. And Brother Lorenzo meets me there. He's this Filipino, uh, very feminine uh, Filipino. Oh, nice to meet you. Come with me. And we're walking from the station to the brother's house. And on the way, I'm seeing people laid, sprawled out on the street, propped up here. People, I'm like, is he okay? And he goes, Oh, I think so. And he just keep on walking. I'm like, this is like, you're like, am I still in Tokyo here? And so I lived with the brothers, Missionary Charity brothers, Mother Teresa's brothers for a year while I went to Sophia University. And that's where my life went completely in a different direction. Because, you know, it, I, I, I met the men and I go, these are my people. Um, because at that time I was estranged from my family. Um, I, I had left uh, Minnesota and was estranged, and I felt these men were also estranged from their own family. I was still, you know, I mean, I'm still sober today, but I was recovering alcoholic, and so I understood how difficult it is to stop drinking. So these are two really touch points for me of connecting with these people and stuff. And we were both outsiders, and, you know, as a foreigner, and them as who they are. Um, so I lived there, and so I eventually, you know, that's the trajectory of my life went that way. Uh, you know, and then uh, stayed on for Sophia another year to study Japanese. And, but you didn't want to, wait, you didn't want to become a brother, a priest? Well, how, you said the trajectory. You're making me, you confuse me a little no, bit. That's okay. So the trajectory was I was going to come here to, to discern, do I want to become a Catholic priest? Well, I thought you said you wanted to become one. I did. You know, okay. but the, 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 the Catholic faith is, and this is what my dad, too, is becoming a monk. They try to discourage you from these things to really see if you have the spirit. 
It's not like the monk makes you sit in front of the temple for five days like that, but there's nobody like the U.S. Navy. Come on in. Let's talk about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to put on a collar? Reason, yeah. I got some, good, some smells and bells for you and stuff. I can hook you up with a nice chapel in the future. None of that. It's more like, is this really what you want to do? So I lived with the brothers and for a year, and it was good experience. Um, you know, it was good. It was, I mean, really learned about their life and living together and things like this. But there was a, a cultural gap, and there's a gap of, what we want, what I want to do and stuff. But I still felt like it might really called to become, you know, a Catholic priest at that time. Okay. And so I stayed in the neighborhood, um, learned Japanese. And then in the summer of 93, a woman casually dated. It sounds really bad, but it was true. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, we were going to get married. She became pregnant. Okay. And so I, my whole world fell apart. At one, you know, I'm this kind of nice guy going off to become a Catholic priest and next minute I'm like you know gonna be daddy could be daddy but also gonna be like you really are are you are you kidding me everybody uh, except for the brothers brothers didn't do that they were still good they still talked to me but everybody else is like your person non grata I don't want to talk to you how old were you at that time 20, 30 okay, I, was I was gonna say 29, mm -hmm. I just 29 when she found out. And so. And she's Japanese. She's Japanese. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was just my whole world was turned upside down, you know? And I, I just, I tried to do the right thing and trying to explain I want to do the right thing. And everybody's like, oh, you're just going to run away. I don't want to talk to you. My Japanese was so so at that time. You know, I remember the night she called me and told me, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, um, you know, told me she's pregnant. And I was just looking up at the sky, you know, and it's like all the stars falling on top of me. You know, and nobody wanted to talk to me and stuff. I called my mom. I had not talked to my mom, maybe two or three years. You know what she said to me? Give me your number, I'll call her up. Didn't say, why haven't you talked to me? Nothing like that. She says, give me her number, I'll call her up, tell her she's family. I just like, I, I you know, that, that, that is my parents to a T. You know, I just... You have a beautiful family. Really. But, you know, yeah, and, 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 and they did. They, they, true to their word, true to their word, they just always treated her and, um, uh, you know, her daughter and stuff, you know, as family and stuff like that. Never once, never once. You know, why haven't you called? Did you know what you put me through? Anyways, so um, the mother and I, um, went and uh, took off to a Jesuit priest, a Spanish Jesuit priest, and someone she knew who had baptized her and uh, at Sophia and St. Ignatius. Sit down, and I'll never forget. He goes, he's a Spanish priest, and he goes, and I kind of knew him vaguely, but she knew him very well. And he goes, Congratulations, you're going to become parents. You're going to bring life to the world. That's a wonderful thing. And I could feel the vibe from here, like, yes, on my side. And he goes, Now, Getting married is a whole different, different thing. I can hear this going like, don't? <laughs> am I like, yeah? Because, <clears throat> you know, even though I wanted to become a Catholic priest, I wanted to devote my life to something. I wasn't a playboy. And I wanted a family. Some, whether it's going to be the Catholic Church or this. And so, you know, for me, it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to get married. But for me, I was not going to get married just to save face or just for the sake of a child. You know, um, I was very committed to that, you know, I was committed to taking responsibility 
but you know, I wasn't that. And so I, I thought if we could work out our issues, marriage would be, it could be a legitimate pathway for this and stuff. And it just turned into hell, just turned into a nightmare and hell and stuff. And so, yeah, we never got married, obviously. Um, and it was just really, really hard several years. Um, you know, I've made the decision to stay here, but what, why am I here? I'm here only for my daughter. That's important, but I don't have a right to see her. She could be taken away at any time. If I go back to the States, I come home, I could be arrested, you know, potentially. I mean, these are all the feelings that I have. And, you know, as a parent at that time, you know, to think that you could lose your child at any moment. And I know other men have, so I don't, I'm lucky when guys, you know, persevere through humor, through perseverance, you know, not cooperation on the other side so much, you know, as, you know, to do that, um, that I hung in there, but it was just that, just that pairing and stuff that you could lose this at any time. How old is your daughter, how old is your daughter now? She'll be 29 soon. 29. Are you, did you ever get together? Soon? Yeah, yeah, we, I was with her whole life. Oh, the whole life. Okay. Oh yeah, I stayed and here. And mother's doing okay too? Yeah, mom, mama's doing okay. And you guys have become friends? Yes. Okay. And this is, this is, this is to get a little story. This is the crazy part about my partner. Mm-hmm. My partner and mama are like this. They you meet mean, each you other. Mean your, they, wife, your wife, no. my wife, my your wife, wife and your my daughter's, daughter's mother. Wife, mother are good friends. Yeah. Are they similar in age? No, 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 no. They're so, not. No, they're not. Is there a big gap? Like, is it more than ten? Yeah, there's a huge gap. They're like, they're like yeah, okay. yeah, there's a huge gap. There's wow. a huge gap. Now you have your father now again, aren't you? I got three kids. Three we kids. have three of us had three kids, ages two to two to twelve. So you have two by your present wife. Uh, oh, three, three, three. Three. So you have four kids. I have four kids. Once <laughs> right, right. uh, someone asked know. me that question, I go, <laughs> I said to the Japanese and Japanese, I said, yeah, I think there's four that I know of. And he goes, I, I'm just fucking with him. I know. I know. <laughs> you know. This is the other guy in that so, interview and stuff. But but yeah. how, how old are your um, children? Are you uh, so I have a two-year-old. Okay. He's, the house just vibrates when he, he's, uh, he's okay. awake. Right. Uh, I got a 10-year-old, a boy. Uh, and then Ruby's 12. And then Ruby's Mary's 28. And Mary's two 28. Girls, two girls. Two girls, right. two boys. Wow. Yeah. That's I love being a dad. I love being a dad. You know what I love most about being a dad is that I get to give to my kids what I never got. So it's twofold. That little they Charlie, that little Charlie, when I'm, you know, changing, you know, changing Jack Jack or, you right. know, doing something for them, I go, I'm doing this for little Charlie and also for them. So it's a twofold for me. I just love that. I love that part about being a dad. Let me ask, before I end the podcast, Charles, is something I usually ask everyone. Mm. With all the knowledge, all the experience that you've been through, mm. if you could magically go back in time mm. and see the younger Charles and give him advice, what age would he be and what advice would you give him? Invest in plastics. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I would give him. I would say it's gonna be a long, bumpy ride at times, man. You know, you're not gonna think you're gonna make it through it at times. You know, but uh, you know, don't give up the faith. Just remember, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. You know, I would. That'd be the one thing I can't tell. You. It's gonna. It's gonna be good. How you think it's gonna turn out? Look, if you would say to me when I got sober. 
you're going to live in a foreign country. Start an organization that never existed there. Start an industry, so to speak, that's never existed before. Marry, have a child out of wedlock, and then stay. And then marry a woman from Hong Kong that's 16 years younger than you. I'd be like, am I still sober? <laughs> You're still sober. I'm like, and live in the countryside and live in a house that's one step above camping. Am I happy? Oh, you're really happy. I have no idea about that story, but I'm in. <laughs> Charles, you've done so much here. We're gonna, I'm gonna have to meet with you again. Because no, no, and then we'll talk about your foundation. We're gonna talk about what you're okay. doing here, because I know that. But I wanted people to know who Charles is, and I mean that's been you put a tear in my eye, man. I see. It's I was going to say, I apologize for that, but... It's heartfelt. No, it's really heartfelt. It's really beautiful. You're a good interview. You're a very good interview. Really right Charles, thank you so much. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks so much. I want to thank all of you for watching the podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan. So continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.